0: And welcome to a brand new season of the Startup Diaries, brought to you by Bern Sheehan, a leading UK technology recruitment business. In today's episode, we've got Richard Barlow, the CEO and founder of Wejo. Uh, before we dive into the kind of breakdown of the episode, I just want to say when we begun doing the Startup Diaries and when I planned this out, I think Richard was actually in the top kind of three or four people and businesses of Wejo that I wanted on the podcast eventually, I think with myself. Living in manchester i know i talk a lot about it on the podcast and my love for it and um, but Wejo are an incredibly well-established business not just in the northwest of england but globally and he's the type of person that i think we want to have in this show from time to time to really show where startups can get to they've obviously uh, Wejo themselves have ipo'd and they're working globally with a ton of data and i think they're a great brand that we aiming to continue to bring onto this podcast and hopefully allow our listeners to to learn from. In this episode with Richard, we talk through the challenges that he had to overcome in the really, really early days of starting and um, He talks us through how he was pivoting and how he got a lot of his early partnerships and, and worked with a lot of his businesses, largely through persistence and relationship building. Um, he then talks us through getting companies on like General Motors, Microsoft and Palantir as partners to, to Wejo, It gives us a bit of a story through the adapting to the pandemic and what's changed within the business. And then finally, it gives us some amazing advice around pivoting when it comes to starting your own business. I think this is an awesome episode and I think you should enjoy it. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Startup Diaries. Uh, in today's episode, we have Richard Barlow, founder and CEO of Wejo. Welcome, Richard. Thanks for joining us. Hey, morning. Nice uh, to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. Um, do you want to just dive in and give us a brief history of Wejo and how the business came about, really?
1: Sure, yeah. So my name's Richard Barlow. I uh, founded Wejo in, um, sort, of in the, sort of as a proof of concept back in 2013. So 10 years ago now. And um, the sort of kernel of the idea was uh, I got into motor racing and I saw live telemetry in, in motor racing, you know, in racing cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I was thinking, well, I wonder if that data, you know, technically, you know, whether you're racing a car, whether it's a car on the road or a vehicle on the road, there's going to be a similar sort of network. So I wondered, well, whether, whether the data in live telemetry in, in motor racing would be available in cars more, 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 more generically. And um, so, you know, as, as, I, as I think everyone does when they come up with an idea, you start with Google, you, know, you start you start, doing, you start sort of searching around about. And uh, what I learned very quickly was is that there was this new sort of um, idea of connected vehicle data where the vast majority of new vehicles sold globally now, whether it's cars, bikes, trucks, have embedded connectivity. Right. But there's huge amounts of unstructured data in the vehicle. There's no standards in industry and there's certainly no platforms that were built to be able to process this huge volumes of data. So that was sort of the kernel of the idea, like nearly 10 years ago now. And, you know, and I I needed, and I I was thinking through, well, how do I, you know, what, what, what is my sort of my secret source to get the demand from OEMs because, you know, because as to, to sort of convince an OEM or motor manufacturers, they're called, mm-hmm. to share data, you need to show credibility, you need to be able to show you've got a platform that works. So I went through all sort of iterations about how I could convince motor manufacturers to make data available. Fast forward 10 years later, we now see more than 20 million vehicles on platform. We see more than 5% of vehicles driving around New York. Oh. Uh, we're getting data in America uh, the whole of Europe, including the UK. Uh, we're in Japan, so we've got sort of broad global coverage now. Working with twenty-seven motor manufacturers and some of their partners.
0: Awesome, awesome. I want to sort of dive into then a little bit about the early days and understanding some of the biggest cha- or the bigger challenges that you may have had to come across. Could you talk us through a few of those?
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of my own my own history, I've um, I've. I've, you know, I, I had a couple of sort of early sort of careers working for other, other organisations, but since, since my early 20s, I've, I've always worked for myself as a founder of, of an organisation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was reading somewhere that the best chance of being successful is to actually start in the first place. And whatever your first plan is going to be, you're bound to iterate, you're bound to pivot on the way. Um, so, you know, when, when I started Wejo, you know, the, the first idea was to identify an alternative source of vehicle data so to speak rather than rather than directly from vehicles so um, so the first sort of project was to build a mobile app now it's quite normal now for mobile apps 10 years later but 10 years ago this is mm. sort of just as uber was happening for example the idea of a mobile app collecting satisfactory or high, fidel- high fidelity data was was unusual mm. you know there were no apis to call on in terms of the os you had to build it all yourself so I worked with a, worked with one guy uh, who was a mate who I've known since school. And uh, we built a POC around an app that could record live journey data. And um, then started going around trying to talk to insurers. And it's it's you know, someone else said to me, you know, with sales, you know, you, you have to be robust to, to rejection. So I just started reaching out to, you know, the chief ops officers and the chief sales officers, commercial officers of insurance providers saying... Have come up with this new way of collecting vehicle data that has a lower cost and stay installing physical hardware in the car which is what was sort of telematics as it's known or, mm. or young driver insurance is, is the, the usual use case and the uh, the early win for us was that AXA selected us as, as their tech partner in the UK Awesome. Um, and we built uh, an app called reward drive the idea being you know you're rewarded for safe driving mm. and uh, so we built this POC um, then one of the big mistakes was, was the AXA then wanted us to re-engineer it. They, they were worried that it had been built by one person uh, and they wanted to see a complete re-engineering and in hindsight, I should have challenged them. Mm-hmm. It didn't need re-engineering and it's quite frightening now that I see 10 years later how some huge organisations are approaching uh, their, own, their, their own way of, of recording driving behaviour from mobile apps. It's what we were doing 10 years ago and, and you know, there's, and so there's lots of lessons to learn. So a mistake I made was is that Max said, re-engineer this, you know, we, we, we want to see more more robust set of code. They didn't have access to our code to be able to make that, but I went, okay, you're AXA. Mm-hmm. I'm this small startup based okay. above this Greek restaurant in, uh, in Manchester, <laughs> literally me and, a, me, me and one guy. Yeah. And um, so we re-engineered it, uh, spent a fortune, raised some capital from high net worths, on um, this idea of this of this app, you know, it was going to explode, and we got all these forecasts from A- from acts about what they thought would be the uh, you know what they thought the take up would be. Mm. It didn't work. We didn't get anywhere near the take up we thought we were going to get. Mm. So, learn lots. Learn how to get you know learn about the value of data in the insurance industry. Learn about actually you can over engineer. You know you should stick to minimum viable product for as long as you as you can do, mm-hmm. and be and be. Be brave about what you've built and don't, and don't let someone else who doesn't understand what you've built challenge you too much. Mm-hmm. So, we built the app. Uh, it got momentum, but nowhere near as much as we'd like it to have done. But what it did was it meant that we had an app collecting data, and then we, and we also built a cloud environment where we could prove that we could process huge volumes of data. But I mean, I was looking at the numbers uh, in terms of sort of year one. I think with year one we collected like four million miles. Now we collect 80, 90 million miles a day. Oh, oh okay. whereas, the, whereas, year one it was four million in the years. So, you know, I think in I think in a minute at peak, we collect more than we did in the first year, well, like nine ten years ago. Um, but we built, it, but it meant we built a cloud. We could build this processing environment, and then uh, you know, and then it was, and then we started getting some really interesting in uh, some really interesting interest from various industries, not just insurance but also fleet, and then uh, eventually motor manufacturers, mm. um, but from formulating a limited company in 2014, it was 2017, 18, before we actually got any real automotive right. interest. So uh, there, was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of time spent in just building those relationships and it comes down to being robust rejection and yeah. and not not taking no for so you know i i have flown to detroit for a 15 minute cup of coffee mm-hmm. then spent nine hours in the airport and flown home again but eventually wow. those meetings i think i i think i think i i think i um, counted once a couple of years ago i think i've been to detroit 43 times and okay. and yeah. sometimes it was flying in have that cup of coffee just build that relationship with someone build that trust and eventually, uh, General Motors made an offer to acquire Ouija in 2018.
0: Oh, wow. Lovely. Well, glad you referenced them because you, you meant uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask was kind of the brands that you partnered with. So you mentioned the manufacturers you've worked with. Um, obviously, I think you work alongside businesses like Microsoft as well, Palantir. Yeah. How did that happen? Is that through that kind of grit and determination that yeah, you've you know? I, mean, I
1: mean, so there was. Um so in, in so you know in, in there's there's conferences in every industry pretty much. Mm-hmm. So there's um, so back in 2013, I was sort of looking about what, what conferences I should be going to to learn about an industry, and also to try and to try and present as well to to present the idea. So um, I remember early 2014, I, um, I I was presenting an industry event in um, I think it was Amsterdam. And, uh, you know, I presented this idea of a mobile app, being able to do all this sort of recording the background to be able Mm -hmm. to add data. And it was was a real sort of tumbleweed where people were taking photos. And I thought, we've obviously got something. And uh, I got approached by um, General Motors Europe or one of their representatives. And um, he said to me, I really like what you're doing, but he said, you're a startup. You won't be here a year from now, but if you are, here's my number. So that was 2014, so a year later, 2015, I reached out to him, he was called Kenneth, and he said, "I'll come and see you." So I said, "Well, look, just 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 so you know, we're we're above a kebab shop in Manchester," and it actually turned out Kenneth, although he was uh, he was German, he mm. actually was married to someone from Essex, so he knew he actually knew what a kebab shop was. <laughs>
0: right, so so. Um,
1: <laughs> so I remember like 2015, um, he flew and saw us in the UK, and he said, "Yeah, I like the idea." He said, "But you won't be here from a year from now. But if you are, um, then let's talk again." So I remember in 2016, I got a phone call from him saying, I've got the director of, um, of, of privacy from a division of uh, GM Europe, uh, who really like to meet you. Can you meet me tomorrow in Frankfurt? Well, mm. I was actually in, in the Middle East at the time. Right. Um, so I was on holiday. And um, so I said to my wife, I need to go to Germany for a day. So I flew flew over to Germany. Kenneth then took me to a kebab shop in uh, in Frankfurt as like some sort of like reciprocation. <laughs> okay. So we obviously we're building that relationship on, um, and then we had the meeting with the director of public policy, um, and then uh, kind of said, well, you know, let's see how it goes. And it was another year. Mm-hmm. So we're now talking 2017 before we got any real engagement, right. and you know, and and sort of you know those are sort of typical stories uh, where it's persistence. So I have been invited by another uh, motor manufacturer to meet them in the West Coast of America. And I knew it was the wrong audience for me, but it was also a way of getting, of being able to getting an intro. So I went. So I flew across the West, West Coast, had this meeting with this motor manufacturer, and they said to me, um, I'm really sorry, it's our fault. You know, you, we're just the wrong audience. This is just not not right for us. But mm. we feel really embarrassed. We've made you fly over from the UK, and I'm mm. thinking, I knew this. You know, yeah, this, yeah. this is what I wanted. You know, I wanted. They said, but if you're ever in South Korea, let us know, <laughs> right. and we can we and we, we will make sure you meet the, meet the head of mobility. So I said, you know, it's really funny that because I, I, I think I'm looking at my like phone, going, yeah, I'm in South Korea in three weeks' time, and I'm just looking literally looking for a blank space in my diary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they go, oh, who are you seeing there? And I said I can't. I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah. I can't. I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you. So, so, so I said, so can I see you in three weeks' time? They went, if you're over yet, yeah, let us know. So um, three weeks later, message, hey, I'm in South Korea. Can we have this meeting? They went, so like you could tell from like these, these messages start flying and going, yeah, um, yeah. Wh- when? I went now. I'm like I'm I'm here. <laughs> So um, I met the global head of mobility with a with a with a big motor manufacturer over there who was literally, and am out. He said, "Can I? Can we do some business together?" And within a year, another year, they that motor manufacturer flew over here. It was actually Hyundai, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a signing ceremony in the UK. And oh, wow. it all came down from this sort of this, you know, this perseverance that you know you've got to be you got to mm-hmm. be bold, you've got to be brave. You know, you've got you've got to you've got to know your guardrails. You know, you mm-hmm. don't don't promise anything you can't deliver on, but you've got to persist. Mm-hmm. And don't, don't sort of put other people on pedestals and think they're doing a better job than you are. Because in a new, new environment, you know, and we are, you know, we're trailblazing, we're market making. No one's ever done what we've done before. Mm-hmm. But, we've, but but most of the most manufactured contracts we won in the early days were down, were, were just from persistence of yeah. pushing someone for that 15-minute cup of coffee in a Starbucks or... Turning up on spec in an office in you know in, in the in the in, in the um you know, in the reception of a most manufacturer in South Korea you know you name it yeah. you know and I say and now I say we've done it you know it's the the mentality and the the culture we have at Wejo about how we build incredible relationships and yeah. that's how we've now built relationships you know where you, know, you mentioned Microsoft who are an incredible partner of ours and, yeah. and Palantiv, you know and the um, the chief operations officer there has been quoted as saying you know they chose us because we've done an incredible job of building automotive relationships which they've which they which they're now mm-hmm. working with us to sort to, to, of to to further sort of yeah. scale
0: so think, take away from me kebab shops are massive in the history of Wejo. yeah and your wife is incredibly laid back when it comes to you jumping on planes and going around the world by the sounds of <laughs> it give and take isn't it you know so
1: you know so we we, we support each other yeah. and uh and it means that you know so it means that i you know i love my family and you know so i don't None of us conform to a nine to five day in this yeah. environment, but it means that, you know, certain days you might not work at all. Yeah. And, you know, I love spending time with the kids. And other yeah. days it might mean that I've got to simply jump on a plane to, to go somewhere.
0: Okay. What, what, obviously, what, as you were talking through the timescales that you were building up to around, it sounds like you're getting some momentum. And then for obviously 2020 then hit and, you know, pandemic. How was the kind of handling of the business throughout the pandemic? Was it, did you see like an increase in, in the amount of data and a decrease? And what was the general handling nah, of the business like?
1: I mean, so it was, so we, so we were sort of seeing very early in, uh, well, very late 2019, early 2020. I mean, I was having meetings with institutions. So we, we, we were going, we were doing a series C at the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was having meetings with VCs in America and suddenly the zoom calls, that zooms was, zoom calls were already sort of, you know, de facto, Mm -hmm. but some of the zoom calls weren't in offices anymore. They were in people's houses. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing that trend very early, very late 19 and early 20. So, um, so we, um, Royal We, I, I put Wejra into sort of formal lockdown before actually it was it was sort of it was it was required just to basically test that our environment you know, our, you know that we could operate mm. from a working from home environment. Um, so mid February twenty mid twenty twenty, everyone started working from home anyway. Uh, and yeah, because I could see it was going to happen. and Obviously, mm. Boris announced, I think, about a month later. Mm. Um, but what we saw as an organisation, our key metric at the time that drove revenue was live vehicles on platform, um, and we saw within uh, within weeks that our utilisation had dropped sixty one percent. Right. Okay. And the effect was, frankly, a sixty one percent drop in revenue. Mm. Now there'd be like a, a you know ninety day lag on that. But you could see that, you know, and, and at the time, you know, industry, you know, the automotive companies were saying, well, we're never going to sell a car again if people are working from home. Who knows how long this lockdowns going to last? It's mm. a bit surreal now, like three years later. Yeah. But at the time, no one knew anything. You know, yeah. we, we, you know, I think we're all now a bit sort of, um, you know, we, we all now understand what lockdowns mean. But mm. we didn't then. Yeah, yeah. So we had to make some hard decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to cut the costs hard. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, because we, we were supposed to be closing a Series C, then, then it looked like the whole venture, venture capital market was going to close down. Now, in, now in hindsight, 2020 was actually one of the best years to raise capital, but there was like this, this sort of three, six months where no one knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we cut the costs really hard, or had to, because we just didn't know. But what we saw after, you know, vehicle, vehicle volumes dropped, mm-hmm. and then it was three months of, you know, the, the, of data being down 60%, and then suddenly the data went back up what it it was just about twenty percent below what it was before, but it was back up to pretty much where it where it where it should be to drive our revenues. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, people are driving again, but there's still lockdowns. But what we were realizing was is that and and we discovered we had a huge value in this because we were seeing this in real time. We realized that for example, pre-COVID people drove to work. During COVID and during lockdowns, people were driving again, Mm -hmm. but they were they were just their their journeys had changed completely. So you know, so for example uh, in America, you know, the the, uh, the attitude of short-haul flying is, is prevalent. Whereas we were seeing people weren't parking in, I don't know, we analyse Miami Airport. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, we, people weren't parking at Miami Airport anymore. Right. But they were doing long journeys. Mm-hmm. So they were replacing the airport, you know, the airplane with, with their vehicle. So suddenly we saw, and we thought actually having that, having that data is, is really valuable to be mm-hmm. able to show to, say, departments of transport that we are seeing in real time what's really going on. Yeah. Um, so, so very quickly we we, we pulled our revenues back to, to pre-COVID, but it was within six months. But we had to go through the pains of not knowing, you know, and you know, mm-hmm. say there was a point in the industry where the car companies were saying we're never selling a car again, or mm-hmm. not, you know, and you know, and then there was, you know, and the and then public service saying, you know, we're we never going to have buses in cities again because people are never going to come to the city again. It was mm-hmm. this very strange time where people, no one knew anything, and mm-hmm. thought, and suddenly we were going, actually, we know a lot because mm-hmm. we're seeing what people are really doing. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and the first it was people just back driving. What what they driving? Where? Why? And it became, you know, so that, and that, and that was a real sort of, um, you know, that became a catalyst for, for the next set of growth for us.
0: Yeah. Well, sort of booming out of the back of that then post-pandemic, were there challenges then that immediately hit you once you, the business seemed to be going right in the, in the right direction once again?
1: Sort yeah. So, I mean, the pandemic was really tough, you know, and, and this idea of working from home is, is now normal. Mm. Whereas, um, you know, whereas some people, uh, you know, it was completely new and, and we, you know, we did lose some great people who just couldn't cope with this new environment yeah. of, 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 you know, of, of frankly, never leaving their home. Mm. So we did go through all sorts of challenges. We tried to support people and we had to go through our own challenges. Of, uh, we cut our headcount by 150 people. Right. Uh, we just couldn't afford, because we just saw so the revenues do that. Um, and then when, when, when it became more normalized, what lockdown would mean for us as a, as a, as a society, then we needed to identify ways of scaling revenues again. Yeah. Whilst, you know, even now, most motor manufacturers are not back in their offices anywhere near what they were. So, mm-hmm. they, so they, even the sort of sales culture had to change because you weren't trying to, you know, the idea of turning up in, in a, at a head office in a South Korean motor manufacturer <laughs> or turning up at Starbucks <laughs> next door to General Motors in Detroit. Yeah. That idea just doesn't work anymore or it yeah. doesn't work to the same extent. So the whole sales culture had to change. Uh, and that takes time, you know, to try and change an organisation's overall sort of attitude to winning new business. Mm-hmm. You know, where it, it did, did take time, but then, um, but then by twenty twenty one, then we, then we, then we, then we, then we had this real momentum going. Mm-hmm.
0: Perfect. I guess for for me, one of the questions as a obviously a technology recruiter, we Joe's always had some really good data people in the business. Obviously, the amount of data that you're dealing with. It's obviously in short supply, though, especially I guess in the northwest market. You know, technology in general is it's a great market in Manchester. But how, how have you been attracting you know the best data people to Ouija?
1: Well, we so we had this sort of we had we we didn't so when when we went to working from home environment, mm. we had no limitation on where you were based. Yeah, there was no there was no demand for you to be in the office at all. Mm. Um, so we, we started recruiting, say in Germany, for example. Mm-hmm. So our attitude was to employ the best people yeah. rather than limiting ourselves. Now actually, Manchester has massively changed in the last couple of years, uh, and we are doing some interesting work with some um, with some um, some public sector organisations to promote sort of our you know promote what we do because there is because there's lots of companies, lots of data here. Yeah. Uh, we have got a huge volume of data. You know we've got. 26 petabytes of data, or something in, in platform. We process 18 billion data points a day, so we've got an interesting and sort of environment for people to play with. Yeah. Um, but you've got to go beyond that, you know. You've you've, you've got to you know, and you've got to, you've got to have interesting tools to play with. You've, you've got to have a very clear product roadmap. And you know, enduring that during the pandemic, uh, that was tough to, to to promise. And even now with the macroeconomic environment last year, you know, it, it that's set, it's delivered as another set of challenges where, you know, where where our focus has to be a balance of innovation, but also scale of revenues.
0: Mm. Yeah, perfect. And with regards to sort of Joe then going forward, what are the, the big opportunities for you as an organisation?
1: So we are going through a, um, an offering at the moment where, where we're going through a business combination with a, a business called TKB, Critical Technologies, right. where we're looking to raise up to $100 million. So we're looking to capitalise the business um, so um, you know, with the macroeconomic environment last year we, we did something called Plug Capital to keep scaling and showing that we could also scale our revenues so we're aiming to complete that deal over the next quarter mm-hmm. um, and then as an organisation right now our focus is revenue scale mm-hmm. so we showed from 21 to 22, 200 to 300% growth uh, we're showing that again this year mm-hmm. so the focus is going to be for your costs not to go up m- that much Actually, your costs will be lower than last year as a, as a general sort of uh, sort of guidance, mm-hmm. uh, but to show that our business can, 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 can scale that level and, 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 and hopefully can continue to scale like that. Mm-hmm. So as an organization, you know, the biggest change for us has been the idea of a, a, of a, a tech growth story is, has changed. You know, you've, you've got to show that you can deliver fundamentals of revenue scale and, re- and, re- and reducing and managing your costs accordingly, mm-hmm. which is fundamentally different to how the business was for the first, the first sort of six seven years of its life.
0: Yeah. Final question for me, and this is the, I love to ask this to yourself because we have businesses at all different stages in their journey. Um, what and obviously you're you're further on in that stage I think than a lot of the other businesses we've had previously. What advice would you give to anyone who's about to start their own business themselves or with the fact that you've you know IPO'd Is there anything around that that you could throw in as well?
1: You've got to start in the first place and I think a lot of people talk themselves out of the idea and the original idea is never going to be what the business ends up being. Mm -hmm. Um, Run the business as lean as possible for as long as possible because you are going to pivot. There is no way that your first idea is ever going to be the the idea that eventually eventually gets you there. Um, You're going to make thousands of micro decisions every day every week that are going to determine your success at some point in the future so if you don't if you're not nimble enough in making those quick decisions you're going to you're you're going to you're going to regret those in the longer term surround yourself by great people but communicate Mm -hmm. because it's tough you know, you you have to make tough decisions, and the best way of people supporting you and the team supporting you is by having open communication in the first place. Mm. Well, just do it. Be brave. Be bold. If You don't yeah. start, you're never gonna you you know you you're never gonna be successful.
0: Perfect. Well, that that's exactly great finish for the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Richard. Hope you, you enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, nice to meet you.